podcast is brought to you by Welcome all you inglorious bastards to our very special birthday celebration of our Lord and Savior, Quentin Tarantino. I am the Reverend Scott K, and on this, his 59th birthday, myself and my special guest, friend of the podcast, making his third appearance, the host of the Way Past School podcast, Mr. Steve Smith, are going to pitch to him some project ideas we have for his last film and a possible project for his post-career. Welcome back, Mr. Smith, and may Tarantino be with you always. Hello, Scott. Thanks for having me back. Number three. Thanks for having me back. Well, you know, it kind of parlayed perfectly. We had such a good time on the podcast earlier of this month. For those of you uh, who have listened to the earlier podcast from this month, will know that we recorded it before 2022 started. New Year's Eve, we recorded it. That's Here right, we yeah. are uh, about a month and a half later. So we're closer to March, but still a month and a half before his birthday. But over that month and a half, I just had like this epiphany. It's like, I got to do something for the birthday celebration. Got to have a, a podcast on the day of his birthday. I had hoped to reach out to... Mr. Michael Madsen. Unfortunately, Mr. Michael Madsen has had a tragedy befall his family, and so I figured why would he want to come on and talk some shit about his experience with Quentin Tarantino during this time of uh, discomfort in his life, so I figured, you know what, the next best thing is to get Mr. Smith back on the line, record with him a pitch celebration slash podcast, whatever this hybrid podcast episode is, where we talk a little bit more in depth about the three projects we kind of came up with that came from these questions I asked you, and so here we are. We're doing it on doing Mr. It. Tarantino's 59th birthday. Sweet Jesus, the man's 59. That means I was the ripe old age of 16 when he started doing movies. What the fuck? <laughs> that has, oh, 30 yeah. years has gone by really quick. He was 29 when he came out with Reservoir Dogs. He and just Reservoir turned Dogs 29. Was not, when was that, 1990? 1992. So we're coming up on the 30th anniversary in October. Like the official release worldwide is in October. It's October 8th, coming up later this year. Uh, when we did our first podcast, it was like right before, I think it was January 15th. If I'm getting my dates right, January 15th in that time frame, he um, debuted it at Sundance. So that's what it was official. Yeah, I was I was 20, 20 years old. Wow. Uh, I'm now ah, just yes. an old now I'm an old man. We are you know we're old enough to play characters in his films now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. We'll, we'll be them forgotten actors that he brings back. I saw a thing the other day. Someone put on, you want to feel old. Ben Stiller is the age that Robert De Niro was when they made Meet the Parents. That's all no, Ben Stiller's now. I know, right? You, you, we start adding that, you go, oh, fuck me. Like, I'm, son my of head, a bitch. My head it is hurts. in my hands right uh-huh. now. It fucking hurts. Which then means no. De Niro's that much older, which means that some of these great actors are getting close to being like, Gone like oh, just the man. other day, and of course, people who are listening to this in the future that's not in 2022, Mr. Gene Hackman just recently turned 92. 
I knew I had to I know. I was I rewatched the movie of his called um Heist the other day. It was it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, yeah David, David Mamet, Mamet movie. Yeah, Great yeah, movie. Yeah. And I was thinking that's twenty years ago. He's like in his early seventies. I'm like, God damn it. Some of these great actors are getting ready to push off. They're getting ready the to The scary thing is though, who's gonna take their place? These goddamn wussies we've got now, you know? <sighs> I mean... There's only a few decent ones out there, I'm telling you. You know, the gold there was a gold mine of fantastic characters. Character actors stroke leading men back then, but these days, have they got the longevity? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. It's crazy enough. It's DiCaprio's our age. I thought, I was like, oh, he's a younger actor. I'm thinking, no, he's he's pushing it too. I yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah, we're old. We're old. It's just, old, it's, it's old fucking, man, nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. But we're not as old yet as Mr. Tarantino. Not, not quite. No, not yet. Now, as I mentioned, for those of you who have listened to our third episode, that did debut at the beginning of this month. Hopefully, you will remember our pre-discussion questions and answers segment that we had, where we kind of uh, had it spin off into some project ideas from Mr. Tarantino. To kind of refresh your memory, and also prior to this, I think there's a little change that was... Uh, a slight change. For those of you who don't know, uh, the previous podcast I was on, uh, my partner in crime then, Matt, would every now and again surprise stuff on us. He would always drop something like, out of the blue, Matt would come up with something or something would change, and you weren't ready for it. So Steve has decided to step in for him today and do the same. But our yeah. original plots we were talking about, there was a TV show based on the post-Pulp Fiction life of Mr. Jules Winfield, uh, that Mr. Smith came up with. I came up with a movie that was a sequel to Inglorious Bastards that follows Eldo and the remaining bastards in their post-World War II exploits. And finally, we kind of were having a hybrid uh, talk and put together of what our version of a third Kill Bill film would look like. Mm, yeah. Who's ready for a fucking pitch? Number one. Since the first thing we ever talked about was Mr. Smith's Jules Winfield TV show, which I'm hearing now may not be a TV show at all. It's going to be a puppet show, so what I'm hearing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 On PBS, a puppet guess? show. How did you, guess? you know, that actually is kind of a good idea. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, so, Mr. Smith, why don't you uh, tell us what the idea is? Do you have a name for the show? And basically, I'll let you just kind of go through what you got. As I told you before we started recording, I've gone a little eccentric. I've gone a little QT mad in my uh, ramp up for the show, for the movie I came up with. So I'll let you go ahead, and then you can see the madness that I went through the last two days of just almost not sleeping. Right. Well, so initially, I was thinking of a TV show with Jules, who didn't go off on his adventures. That didn't end up happening, because I think the death of um, John Travolta's character... Mr. Vincent Vega. Oh, Vincent Vega. Mr. Vincent Vega, a couple of days later. That affected him, so he stuck around LA, and he became a private eye who works only for criminals. That was the... That was the gist, yes. That was the gist, right? But since then, I figured, hang on, it's going to be called The Case, right? Oh, all right, all right. But it's going to be a sequel to Pulp Fiction, right? So he's a, he's now a private eye working just with criminals. And you'll have like the hard-boiled film noir kind of narration, but done by Jules, you know? Will he be the apprentice or helped by Mr. Wolf? Because I was thinking about this when you talked about it. Forgot to know what we mentioned when we did the podcast, but the old, Mr. Wolf says to him a couple of times, spoken like a true apprentice. You know, like, like he yeah. sees Jules as a yeah. person who could take over for him. Well, what I was thinking was Mr. Wolf is kind of like one of his go-to guys, you know, 
who he calls when things get messy, which is what he does anyway for Marcellus. So what's going to be is he's going to get three cases to work on, right? Much like the three stories. So you've got three stories in top fiction. I like the fact that when you said case, I actually was envisioning like the case. Uh, you're like, getting I, ahead yeah. of you're oh, getting Okay. Ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was like, that's you, I mean, already I'm liking where you're no, going because no, already you're pulling the well, Tarantino's. No, the the Tarantino shuffle. Uh, yeah. The, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. Three card so, so, so it's called the case. He gets three cases to work on, you know, but they all lead back to Marcellus Wallace. And basically, Jules ends up stealing the case because, oh, okay. because of the predicament. So he's going after Marcellus, basically. These three cases all lead back to Marcellus being a piece of shit. Right. Got you. And he slowly he slowly realizes that as he's going from case to case. Exactly. Right. Now, what ends up happening is Marcellus kidnaps Jill's girlfriend, the vegetarian. The vegetarian, which we, he <laughs> did allude to when he was eating right. the Kahuna burger. Yeah. So basically, the only thing Jules, he needs something to bargain with. So he ends up pulling a heist and stealing the case. Oh, he ends up stealing right. the, the case, the case of Pulp Fiction to bargain Marcellus Wallace with to get his girlfriend back. And we may or may not find out what actually was in that case by the end. You can't understand how how crazy what you're saying is until I give you my pitch. Uh, you really can't understand <laughs> why. You're, you'll see. There's some synergy there. Oh, wow. I Question like for already. you then. But yeah, yeah. Sorry. Will we get to see Tony Rocky Horror? Well, the idea... The guy who gets thrown for possibly touching his feet, who gets thrown four floors through a glass and glows. Garden. The Samoan. The, the Samoan. Samoan. Yeah. Tony Rocky Hora. Well, he could end up basically being like um, Jules Heavy, you know? Or he could be the guy who kind of starts to shed the light on how big a piece of shit Marcellus Wallace truly is. Exactly. So, yeah. So you've got all these cases that are seemingly, as with all sort of these kind of film noirs and they're seemingly un, you know unconnected if you're in the tarantino verse nothing nothing is, is by chance or unconnected so, everything has its thread yeah you know, so you could get you know um some woman some femme fatale woman comes in saying that boyfriend's gone missing and jules finds him in the trunk of the car and or you could get you know you could you could have all these different scenarios. That I was going to ask you, did you have any of the scenarios plotted out besides the possible final one where he has to... Well, not exactly, because my, my, my idea was, much like Pulp Fiction, that they'd be very standard things, you know? Yeah, like, yeah I get you. So, but then each through line would kind of lead you eventually down. Like they, yes. There'd be these so, happenings where they just they crossed over, which you don't think is a big deal. You think it's moving to the next case, but really it's puzzle pieces of a bigger picture. Yeah, exactly. So ultimately... Marcellus Wallace gets he gets word to him that Jules is gonna come after you because ultimately it's because of Marcellus Wallace's dealings with Butch that Vincent Vega died. So I was kind of thinking that Jules also goes on the hunt for Butch. Oh, so he's he sort of wants revenge on Butch ah, as well. I like so that. there's all these. So again, you know, he's kind of getting personally involved. In the in this situation, and once he finds out that really it's Marcellus's fault that Vincent is dead, he was his kind of not sidekick, but you know, buddy. So yeah, so basically the, the actual three stories like that are seemingly unconnected. They they will be the standard tropes of the film noir 
you know, pulp. basically you're going to you're going to turn the the private eye tropes into this kind of movie where maybe maybe even Jules starts off where he's, you know, maybe not even trying to seek revenge on Marcellus. It's as the thing goes. Exactly. He it's learns more and more that yeah. Marcellus yeah. is a piece of shit. Exactly. And then he starts yeah, so to he change. Doesn't, yeah, he doesn't know this initially. And knowing Tarantino, it would start off where we have no idea, where we just think we're following Jules. We have no idea these are going to connect until like, yeah. to the end. And all of a sudden you're like, holy shit. Yeah, I like this. Yeah, you I know, like it this. could be like, you know, oh, a shipment of heroin's coming in and that goes missing and he's hired to figure out who stole it. And that's going to be Marcellus is up responsible for it. So ultimately, it's going to turn him against his former employer. And also, he's got the personal vendetta of Vincent Vega and also a personal grudge with Butch. I like it. He may not have got as far away as he intended. You know, so I like and it. Obvious, and let's face it, Marcellus Wallace at this point is at least got a walking stick after his um after his <laughs> <laughs> after the incident in the base after the incident in the oh, basement. Yeah. Marcellus Marcellus could end up in a wheelchair and be like one of those. <laughs> That's not he, going all, to too all much. All we know detail. is Marcellus will only be filmed from the front as he will never have his backside to anyone no. ever again. No, that will never be on display The irony again. of that film is that you only see him from the backside, and that's what ends up being his downfall in the first film. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so so that's why it's called The Case. That's kind of got a, you know, a double name in there. I like it. I like yeah. it. I like so, it a lot. So, yeah, yeah, so standard tropes of the film noir, all fingers lead to Marcellus Wallace, and on top of that, he's got a personal vendetta against Butch, who he's trying to track down, and he uses... And he has to use the case as a bargain chip when Marcellus Wallace kidnapped his girlfriend. Now, and how's we may, it end? Well, we may or may not find out what's in the case, but at the end, it just ends up in a complete bloodbath of bullets. I would still like the fact that you lead it up to thinking, we're finally going to see this fucking case, and you still don't. I just love that. Just like That's a Tarantino thing, because he wouldn't pay it off for you. You know what I mean? Like I still think he wants you to think it's something. However... <laughs> when I get to mine, you may will may well, talk with thinking, it, but they might but, be related. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I'm thinking is, as this is his this last film, that could really leave audiences with that closure that they finally. Uh, however, with Tarantino, he doesn't give a shit about closure. You know, like you know, I mean, no. I mean, think about his first two movies. First, you know, except yeah, for the, man, old, I mean, yeah, Mr. Man, Pink disappears. Man. You know, I mean, like for a while, people weren't 100 percent sure what happened to Mr. Pink. You know, like like there's a lot of things where, like the stories end, but like uh, even Jackie Brown, even though it's a it's a novel uh, adaptation, you know, I know a lot of people are always like, does Jackie and does Max do they get together? You know, what I mean, because like, like she leaves him and he's got that phone yeah. call and yeah. she's got the money he's helped her, like, and you know they like each other. And then she's kind of going off, and he's still running his business. Do, do you know? You're always thinking, does Max eventually go back and find her? Does Jackie move yeah, on? Well, you know? well, I know we had a different. Well, this is something else that I was thinking about. But this might be a bit too. This much, is a. We're, but, this is his birthday celebration. Where these are our presents to Mr. Tarantino, who, by the way, yeah. as we record this, he is now expecting his second child with his wife. So right. we may be looking at another two to three years before we get this movie. So we might be helping him doing the heavy lifting <laughs> to give him the ideas that. that he'll then go ahead. And expound upon it. I don't need any credit. I just want to be on the set and just at the premiere. That's all I want. Right. Okay. But I was what I was also thinking. I know we had a difference of opinion about Mr. Pink, but I was thinking Mr. Pink could make an appearance. You know what? Fuck it. Why not? Absolutely. Out of the blue. Out of the fucking blue. Kind of like holy shit. Is that is that Mr. Pink? And of course it yeah. wouldn't be Mr. He wouldn't say Mr. Pink. We'd actually find out his real name. And, there, we there you go, and, and you'd have to be a Tarantino fan to understand. 
who you're seeing. And the exactly. reason I say that is I went and saw the Uncharted movie over this past weekend. Okay. Uh, my son's a big fan of the Uncharted game. I have not played it. I've seen him play it. I've seen the trailers. So I went in completely not knowing what was going to happen. It was kind of like Indiana Jones meets National Treasure meets Goonies kind of movie. It wasn't bad. It was, it was just a fun popcorn movie. But there is a person in the film, and when I saw him in the film, the way they held the camera on him, and he had a line of dialogue, and he was a nobody, I knew this was an Easter egg, and I did not know why. My son told me it's the actual voice actor from the game who plays the character that Tom Holland, I guess, plays, or whatever. So Uh, there's that little thing. So Uh, I I, I knew there was something about it. I was like, this this guy's not here for just nothing. You know what I mean? Like, he either wrote this. Like, he he paid somebody to be in this. So my son then asked me a question. Was so-and-so in it? And I said, ah... That's where that guy was. So I, not being a you know a person who plays that game, would not have totally got that reference. However, those of us in the Tarantinoverse would totally know when we see Steve Buscemi, and just by yeah. very tricky dialogue without him saying a whole lot, you know, to get, you know he wouldn't have to go into big exposition about who the fuck he was or where he's been. We would know yeah. that. Oh shit, I think that's Mr. Pink. And you know Tarantino, he would just never tell you because you would give him his, his. He now would have a first name basis, so you know what I mean. So he wouldn't be like, "Oh, Mr. Pink," like he would no, have no reason to keep up that ruse anymore. And he could be coming out of prison at this point. Exactly. So my, what I was thinking was not. This is a bit off the cuff here, but I was thinking like Mr. Pink comes into it and he goes to Jules because he hit the diamonds, and when he's gone to get them after being in jail, they're they're not there. All right. All right. Or there's some place that he needs Jules' help to retreat. To get to. Exactly. Yeah. So there's all so what I'm I'm not I trying like to link I'm not trying to link every Tarantino film into this. It wouldn't be that big of stretch of what you're saying because they're in LA. Vincent Vega and Vic Vega worked in the similar they were brothers, so they were in similar circles, different obviously just different parts of that town. They're both criminals. It was at the same time frame. It would not be that big of stretch for a, you know, yeah, Mr. Be- Pink to make a, a, an appearance or you know yeah, Again, exactly. obviously, it's down the road, so we'd have to figure out how Mr. Pink is, looks a little bit younger. It could even be where he, you know, there's a dirty cop on the inside or whatever who's helped release him because he wants part of the diamonds. Like, he cut a deal. You know what I mean? There's all kinds of ways to go with this, which is not above all the tropes that are in neo-noir, whether it's gangsters or P.I. movies, with a dirty cop trying to get extra because he knows of a... I mean, just kind of like the, exactly. movie, the movie Out of Sight, written yeah, so- by Elmore Leonard. What's his name escapes because they know about diamonds from a guy he was the time and he wants to go to Detroit to get him. So exactly, yeah. So I was just thinking if you brought Mr. Pink and Butch in, so it would really tie in the whole sequel and it would tie in that whole LA. Uh, yeah, yeah. You could yeah. even, I mean, you don't have to, but you could even. I mean, there could even be a, a cameo or a slide in from even the Jackie Brown work because those three technically are like one big LA. Sto- even though they're not all connected, but they, you, you could. And he's a big fan of connecting things. The ideal thing to do would bring in um, Michael Keaton's character. That's exactly what I was thinking. 100% bring yeah, in his, yeah. his... And maybe he's not ATF anymore. Maybe he's DEA. Maybe he's moved up and he's doing something else or he's in the FBI or whatever. Or maybe, maybe he's moved down the ladder. Maybe he's got some shiesty business. That and, too. So, you, yeah. So, basically, yeah, that was my, that was my idea is to basically have three stories that end up connecting and it all ends in a bloodbath between... Samuel Jackson and Marcellus Wallace, and the case itself. Who survives? Who does not? Well, we could be facing a Mexican standoff situation. It's a Mexican. We, it could be another. I mean, which, which, ironically enough, I have one in my pitch coming up. 
You have well, to. You can't. You can't. You can't pitch a, sh- a movie <laughs> for Tarantino and not have his tropes in. You can't. It's it's not a Tarantino film. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just not. You had. He always finds a legitimate way for them to be there. It's not just like we open on the film and you know. There's all these like weird things happening. There's a legitimate reason. Well, yeah, because you, you, because you, yeah, cause you could end up with the, the surprise of the test of loyalty of Butch, because Butch could come into it at the end to help Jules, but then realize that it obviously Marcellus let him live. So now he'd feel like he was betrayed. I, I almost Wallace. like thinking. I almost like thinking that even Jules lets Butch live because of the conversations they had prior to even Vincent dying. Butch had to do what he had to do to, to, to survive himself. You yeah. know, I, I almost like that, you know, but who knows? But hey. But this is where Tarantino himself comes into it. I'm just the yes. ideas man. Yes, exactly. I'm the ideas man. I'm throwing these ideas at you. You need to put it together because that's <laughs> what you do. I'm just some schmuck in England. I don't know anything. Look, I like the story. I think it's pretty good. I so think that's, it goes that's, that's my kind of, you know, it's a lot of little It's basically nuggets. Jules is taking over kind of the role of Mr. Wolf. He's kind of helping. He's yeah. kind of there helping people out. Guy, you know, the the he's helping people who can't be helped by local law or local yeah. Yeah, authority. Exactly. And he knows exactly. his way. And in uh, the accomplishment of said duties, he learns that Marcellus Wallace is far more nefarious than he ever gave him credit for. Yeah. He decides that the way for him to become the shepherd is to take out the wolf. Not, wolf. Not the wolf, but the wolf being exactly. Marcellus Wallace. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, so that is my overall pitch. The case, the adventures of Jules Winfield. Mr. Tarantino, for your consideration, The Case, a Pulp Fiction sequel. Number two. So our second pitch, the one that I came up with. Originally, we were tossing off some ideas about Mr. Aldo Rain. What, what would happen to Mr. Aldo Rain when he left? So I kind of had some ideas. And with your help, we kind of combined some things. So here's the name of the movie. It is Revenge of the Apache. Yes. The reason I went with Revenge is I feel like it would be a movie title from something. There's always a lot of revenge movies out there. And I feel like it would be a title that he would gravitate towards. So Revenge of the Apache. Tagline is, a bastard's work is never done. Like it. Steve and I talked about putting these together. I did not give him any things he had to do. I do this on my own because I'm a fucking psycho. All right? I have a little Tarantino in me. I get very passionate and excited about things. I talk very fast at times, and sometimes I don't stop talking. I went ahead and I've got my cast. You ready? Go. This would star all of the remaining bastards. And there's a few of them who live. Obviously, the two German-born were killed. In the shootout, also the Coco, <laughs> our two our, our two saboteurs who blow up with the uh, the explosion, they're gone. But there are a few guys still left. So it stars the great Brad Pitt. Mister Christoph Waltz will be reappearing as Hans Landa, as we will get into in a second. Joining the cast, which you do not know about, this is this was added a couple days ago. Miss Natalie Portman, and I'll explain who she's going to play. It will return Mr. B.J. Novak, Sam Levine, Paul Rust, Michael Bacall, Carlos Fidel, all guys who were the other bastards who did not die. And, as you and I talked about, Mr. James Parks, the son of the late great Mr. Earl McGraw. <laughs> he will be taking up the place of his father, and we're going to explain. This movie, I'm not going to lie, is going to bring together three, three movies without intentionally being that way. Obviously, this is going to be an Inglorious Bastards sequel. It's going to tie in a bit of Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill, and I will explain as we go. Wow. Now, the plot. 
is in the wake of the end of World War II, the Israeli government hires Eldo Rain and the remaining members of the Bastards to hunt down seven notorious Nazis who fled Germany and took up refuge in South America, especially Argentina. I did research on this. There was a list of seven guys, seven high art guys that actually escaped and went to live in South America. So I did some research. So this is going to be, again, a re, uh, revisionist history movie from Tarantino. Having found a new sense of purpose post-war, Eldo happily accepts. However, tracking Nazis is not his skill set. Ambushing and killing them is. So upon the suggestion of Private Udovich, played by Mr. B.J. Novak, a.k.a. the little man, they make a stop in Nantucket to pay an old adversary a visit. It is a pride-swallowing moment for Eldo to have to enlist the services of Hans Landa, the one man who not only can think like a German, but whose skills at hunting down his prey are uncanny. Hans, along with one of the Mossad's top field agents, now played by Miss Natalie Portman, uh-huh. join the bastards, and together they cut a bloody path of revenge across South America, retaliating for the atrocities that befell the Jewish people of Europe at the hands of the Nazis while collecting an abundance of Nazi scalps and a priceless stolen jewel Along the way. Ah, see where I'm going ah, with this? Ah. I think so. I broke it down into five chapters. I don't have the chapter titles. I was oh, thinking, Jesus. I was like, you're going to give us the whole, you're going to give us the whole script. I will give you bits. I'm going to give you the bits and pieces of what happens in, in them. All right. When the film <laughs> opens, so I was thinking, how was Tarantino do this? So I thought we're going to do a similar scene to the opening of the glorious bastards, but with zero context, right? So the movie just starts. And the film opens with Hans visiting a church. Now, I did some research. In the town of Chile, uh, there was a guy, general in the army or in the SS. I didn't write his name down because I figured, you know, that's for Tarantino to put in. But he was hiding out in Chile, and there was a one-eyed German uh, former Gestapo soldier who had become a priest and lived in the same town. So I'm basing some fact on the things that happened. So Hans Landa tracks this guy down. That's when I passed her. Tells him that he's sent from Argentina, this town in Argentina, by the high command there, there is a town in Argentina called Bariloche. It's in the mountainous region, It like being in the Alpines. It was home to over 9,000 escaped Nazis that took seek refuge there. So he pretends to be from that town. He's been sent there to talk to a person by the high command from that town. They need to talk about something. The man gives it up. When he gives up where he is, our character who is named Rivka, which is actually Jewish for Rebecca, she's in the church pretending to be a praying member. You don't see her until she suddenly reveals herself. She tortures the man until he confirms that this high-ranking official has possession of this real jewel. They then kill him and scalp him. It's a long, more talky scene, kind of like the first. Then we go to the second one. And obviously in chapter two, we get the fucking bastards. However, we're jumping back in time. Aldo is having a drink. I forgot to put in here. Harvey Keitel will make an appearance. As Harvey Keitel was the voice of the OSS officer in command in the movie, we will see him in the flesh. He and Aldo are having a conversation Uh in a bar. He's there to tell Harvey's character about a meeting he just had a few days ago with the Israeli government and tells him about being hired to go on this expedition, blah, blah, blah. They're getting paid $100,000 for each of the seven people on the list and then $1,000 for every scalp that they collect along the journey who isn't on that list. But he tells him that he has to bring this girl, that part of the uh, agreement is that he has to uh, join the team is the Mossad agent, Rivka, and that he believes that she has ulterior motives, in which we will find out that she does in a scene where she talks about that she has been sent to find this rare jewel that has been stolen and taken with them. That was stolen from someone of importance in Europe while they were living there who was in custodian of this rare jewel, blah, blah, blah. You know, he'll come up with something cool, and off they go. That's her part. So he doesn't trust them. We also then have a scene 
still in this flashback where Yudovich, after they all meet and talk about it, is the one who says, you know who we really need, who would help with us with this? Because they're talking about how they're good at killing, but it was easy to kill them because when you're in a war, the Germans were dressed in their uniforms. It's easy to spot the Germans dressing up and killing them, especially when we had Germans with us. Now that they're out of uniform, we need someone who knows what they, how they would think, where they would go, what they would do. And he says, we know who we need to get. And then we cut to him in the bar asking him, where's Hans Landa living? Oh. Boom. Chapter three. Eldo and Rivka, they pay Hans a visit He in Nantucket. He thinks they're there to kill him. Uh, when he finds out what they want him to do, he's very eager because he wants to get back to doing what he does best, which is track people down and use his you know investigative skills. So he's super pumped. The middle of this chapter is basically like this montage of them finding, killing, and scalping four of the main escaped Nazis. And then it culminates when they get the fifth one. And while they're there, he's the one who gives up the name of the town in which thousands of Nazis are hiding in Argentina. And so the bastards then devise a plan. And again, I recently this in that town they would still celebrate big nazi things to include hitler's birthday celebration so they are devising a plan to kill as many nazis as they can at the town's annual hitler birthday celebration which is like who knows a couple of days ago we, we you know always put some pressure on it's like in an hour no, kidding, <laughs> chapter four we jump ahead in time to hans and rivka post that scene we saw in the first chapter going after paying this german officer who they believe has this very top secret jewel at his house. So Rivka, she uses her mercenary skills from the Mossad to basically take out his small band of escorts. Her and Hans interrogate him until he divulges where he's hidden the gem. They go with him. He unearths it. And when they unearth it, just like they would in Pulp Fiction, we just get the glow. No, we don't see the actual what it is in that he's got. And that suddenly sparks this very tense double cross from everybody. It's a three-way, once again, standoff. Which ends with her killing both the German guy and Hans and her being badly injured. She takes this German soldier's young son hostage and forces him to lead her to the train station. And they get on a train headed for Acuna, Mexico. (laughs) She has the jewel on board. She dies of her wounds on the train. Young Bill... Exits the train, leaving the jewel behind, not knowing that she has anything of a value on it. He's a young boy, doesn't know where he is. He's starting to wander around the streets of Acuna, Mexico, where he is befriended and approached by a young man named Esteban Viejo, who offers to take him in and take care of him. Jump to chapter five. Uh, So now, chapter five, it's Hitler's birthday celebration. And the bastards ambush the party. A major portion of the plan requires Hans and Rivka to set off some explosives. But the two of them have double-crossed them and left the bastards in the lurch, leaving them to fend for themselves. Having had suspicion that one or both of them might double-cross them, Eldo had called in the favor to his old OSS commander. And as the bastards make their final stand in this bloody massacre of a shootout, an airstrike on the town obliterates the building, most of the town bringing an end to Eldo, the bastards, the escaped Nazis, and the town of Bariloche. The end of Revenge of the Apache. Well, this is why I'm a guest. This is why I'm a guest and you're the... This no, this is, is why show. I have a problem. <laughs> I am, I'm speechless. I'm speechless. I, sat there, I thought about this for days. I was thinking, how can I think like Tarantino? What would he do? And I was like, okay, we would open up with Hans Lando because people would be like, what the fuck? Why is he in this movie? You know, they'd be... And like, all right, so we have to have this other character. I thought it'd be a strong female character. I was like, oh, it'd have to be... I was like, Natalie Portman would be fucking perfect in this role. 
Plus, she's Israeli as it is. And so it's like, you know, I mean, you think Natalie Poyman would turn down a chance to play a Mossad agent killing Nazis? Fuck no. She might do it for free. I might Hell just send no. this to her and she might Hell be like no. my Harvey Keitel and get this movie made. <laughs> but then as I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, so the, wow. she's going to double cross because she's going to go after this brilliant, expensive jewel. And that's going to end up eventually, we're not going to say it's the jewel that's in Pulp Fiction. We're just going to allude to it by no one ever seeing it and the amber glow flashing on their face. And I was like, okay, so how do we oh. jump around? And I was like, well, Hans Land has got to die, but it seems too easy that um, Eldo will kill him. And Eldo's very much like, you know, he's not an intelligent, excuse me, military strategist like Hans would be. So I feel like Rivka would be able to get Hans to, you know, some kind of thing of saving, you know, if you help me get this, you, I will let you live. You can continue to think, but this is more important, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, again, I know Tarantino could write this and put it together better, but I just thought, how would they jump around and make this work? And I kind of looked at how Inglorious Bastards was, so I was like, okay, we're going to introduce Londa and this new person, and okay, what's this going on? And then we're going to show why it happened, because we're going to jump to the Bastards, but I was like, I have to have him talking to his old... Old OSS guy, which would be cool for the fans to see Harvey Keitel on screen again, because that'll send up the fifth oh, act, which is technically Definitely. not the end. Definitely. And then I was like, okay, so then the third is going to be them, like, you know, going around like they did, killing the best, you know, killing blah, blah, blah. And then the fourth, we jump yeah. back and be like, why why are we back at this again? What is this about? And we get that whole scene with the, the jewel and all that and the, the setup, and they were like, well, where's the bastards? And then we pay it off in the fifth and realize that they were double-crossed, but this whole big thing happened. So, well, obviously, so, yeah, Mr. Tarantino, you could, um, for your consideration, I give you Revenge of the Apache, the sequel to Inglorious Bastards, but possibly a prequel to Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction at the same time. Well, again, I'm I'm, I'm practically speechless at your research. But yeah, you could obviously ha- you could have um, with the jewel. You could have it being put in a briefcase. Yes, so so, so or, it'd be some kind yeah. of case that you would have, like in like even some of those leather flip up cases. You know what I'm talking about? Like, because obviously we're yeah. used to the normal yeah. day of, of the briefcase, but I'm thinking like those leather attaché cases where like. Yeah. But I feel like I, I also feel like no, we would I'm definitely tap into like the a little bit of Indiana Jones. Like it would be hit, like he would have it hidden some. You know what I mean? Like and like some yeah, big yeah, shrine yeah. type thing. Yeah, but I'm thinking if if you put it in the actual case. From Pulp Fiction, yeah. I know, I know it's a stretch. Well, I, I like the fact of it being time. in the attaché case and then us figuring out, well, how the fuck did it get from that train to eventually getting, yeah, making thinking, its way up to California and make, you know what I mean, how it came yeah, into possessions. Yeah. But the way you could definitely have people know that it's the jewel from, it's what the, is in the case in Pulp Fiction is the combination on the case, yeah, that yes, there could be yes. Even if it's like a lock, like even if it's like a lock, like I, well, obviously there have to be some research on it because yeah. it would have to be. That's why I did research for this because I had the idea yeah. of what this would be when we talked about it. But I was like, well, how does this all play together? Yeah. Now, why would they do this? We're in movie world here, so that could be the exact same case they use in Pulp Fiction. And to know that what was in the case in Pulp Fiction, you could just have them do the six, six, six yeah. on the combination of the yep. briefcase. Without, uh, without having a, I mean, that's how yes. you spell it out. Yes. You know, without they probably won't be the same case because we're thinking like the 1950s, early 50s when this happens. Yeah. yeah. But again, like yeah. a but little I'm leather attaché case, or even it's like a little you know, lock on it, and the person has to put on one of the locks, you know, is yeah. six. But we are in the Tarantino yes. universe here. That, you don't need to explain how can that suitcase last True. 30 years. True. Cool. But yeah, but I like the idea. 
my take my money. Well, take I mean, a lot of it was I can't take full credit because I was thinking back in the, when we first talked about this, which will now feel like we just did it three weeks ago. But honestly, it's a month and a half when we recorded the two. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. the one who came up with him joining up with, with Hans Landa. The joining up with Hans Landa helped parlay the rest of this. Otherwise, it's just elbow yeah. rain killing some people without really any direction. Hans Landa adds the extra. Yeah. Ad, the, it adds the. It's he's the bomb under the table. Will Eldo kill him? Will you know what I mean? How is this going to go? Like, there's like a whole bunch of. I like the fact that he is the unknown element. You know, how is this new? I mean, the last time they had seen each other, he carved the swastika, which means he's got to wear a hat the entire time everywhere he goes. Radio Man got killed. Like he was. They were so callous towards him and cold towards him. You wonder if Hans yeah. wants to try to exact some revenge. And there's a little bit of that when he decides to leave them behind, kind of thing. So. You bringing in Hans Landa and bringing them together yeah. really builds it's well, such, such a stronger story than not having Hans Landa around, you know? Well, to be honest, when we, when we came up with all that stuff in the previous episode, we were literally spitballing ideas. Oh, 100%. So the fact that so – for, for, so for you to come up with that – from the, what we said. Well, I, I mean, again, it, this was really the genesis of me ha. thinking about it since we did it. I was just being like, I think it'd be a fun episode. Like, I don't think we... It's funny. As we're recording this, the episode that we're talking about has not even fucking come out yet. It's still about another two weeks away. Yeah, yeah. So when people are listening to this, yeah, it'll be a month right. after we record this. But when we, when they listen to the third episode, hopefully that you've already have, it was just re-listening to it back, and I sent it to you so you could listen to it again. And I did it again today when I was shaving. Yeah. I was re-listening to the first thirty minutes, which is where it is. I was just like, man, we were just—it was a fun. It just was fun. I was like, well, oh, no, this exactly. is exciting. That's why. Yeah. Well, no, that's why I needed you to send me that episode because we were just throwing shit. At the wall at the time, you know. We this has like, become a fan. We become fan there, fiction yeah. writers. Is what we become. So we haven't done all the weird sexual yeah. stuff. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. <laughs> a lot of fan fiction is weird sex just, stuff. You know. I, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I mean, I just yeah. That like you say, you, you think of these things and they, they're off the top of your head. Because like I said, when they said about the Jules private eye thing, like in, in the actual Natural Killers episode, and and you said you wanted to do this one, I was like, you know. Actually, that might work better as a as a, like a sequel to Pulp Fiction with the you know with the three stories. I, I like it. I mean, harking back to the three stories from Pulp Fiction, and you know, yeah, you know, bringing people back in and finding out what's in the case. I just think as a swan song for Tarantino, that final kind of that's what was in the case. But you know, we need Revenge of the Apache. Well, what I'm what I'm, what I'm hoping is, is maybe to, the maybe we need him I mean, we need him if we're doing some of the heavy lifting outside of him writing the dialogue, and stuff, you know, at least give him some of the ideas. I mean, I would I'd be more than thrilled. I'd be more. Yeah, than I mean, thrilled. no, but but, but that, that like I say, just by sheer coincidence, our two films are are then linked. Well, you well when you said the case, and I was like, oh, I was like, holy shit, he has no idea what I'm about to say to him later. Well, no, because I still hadn't, I still hadn't. Worked out what was in the case. I mean, I know I, I know I said because um, you asked me. I think on the Reservoir Dogs episode, um, what I thought. No, was it in the actually case. was in that episode. It was that episode. That's what spawned everything. I think oh, my first question was, "What do you yeah. think is in the case?" And we both agreed that we think it was something of value and not like a nothing supernatural because we both we both felt no, that there was nothing no, supernatural in no. the film, anyways, really. And so there's no point no, to be supernatural. Doesn't... And Tarantino's not a person who's never... That's... that's not his forte. He's never slipped into the supernatural anyways. That would be just completely not on par for him. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that was just like a... But I still, even with the dual Pulp Fiction sequel, I still hadn't actually 
come to a conclusion of what was in the case. And like I said, so I don't think there needs both. to be. We need your movie first. We need your. You can't do. You can't do ten minutes. Well, I like I said, I just put it in as like a jewel, but it could even be simple dialogue where we don't even get away. Like it's a it's a rare artifact or antique well, or, or not, whatever or, or, or stone or whatever. You know. Or not yeah. Or Nazi gold. Yeah, and, and, but, I mean, well, I mean, the the Nazis stole a ton of Jewish gold and stuff. So a lot of the possessions. So it could even be exactly. something even uh, who knows? I mean, heirloom from the old old gold country, like even from you know from Israel itself. You know, that, that somehow was in a family and they had it, and then when they were forced to go into the ghettos and pulled into the eventually concentration camp, and they took all their shit. One of these assholes got a hold of it, and so and yeah. the guy who in the my research who was in Chile. He's one of the guys who came up with like the gassing in the like these this gas you could drop in the vans and the transport. So a real fucking piece of shit. So it would be one of those yeah, moments yeah. where you have a real you know you'd be really excited about killing this motherfucker. You know what I mean? So I feel like maybe even that wouldn't be a threat. I feel like as soon as he unhinges it, she stabs him in the fucking neck. And as they're looking at all of a sudden the two of them draw on each other. You know what I mean? And she ends up yeah yeah no I, I can shoot say shoot. It. I can say Hans it. Lana goes down and dies, and but she also eventually dies later too. And and then 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 the jewel or whatever it is is just. Now it's on this train, and now we go. Who finds it next? And then how does it eventually make its way forty years later to Marcellus Wallace? You know, mm. wow. right? And, yeah, and then, yeah. and then no, the whole thing uh... with Bill, because you know, just from what they say, you know, you know, he was kind of raised by Esteban Viejo, was one of his, you know, surrogate fathers for a while. It's that's where he begins his his criminal enterprise. You know what I mean? Like he's he's the son of, and we don't know Bill's last name. He has no last name. Bud could always just be again his mother. Again, there's a lot of things you could we could f- try to figure out how it worked, whatever. Bud could just be his adopted brother. We don't even know. You know what I mean? So we no, don't we know don't All we know is that because they talked about you know for a guy who doesn't have a father, you know, Bill, you know, that's why he was collecting father figures along the way. So and Viejo being the first one. He, you know, he kind of builds that empire, you know, and eventually Bill becomes who he becomes. And so yeah. it's just a little, it's just a small backstory of Bill. We don't know the rest of Bill's backstory, but it's just a small start that he was the unknown son. He had no idea his father was a Nazi. He happens to see a, yeah, happens no, to see no, a horrible uh... murder that sends him in a different direction. And uh, he was this close to having the fucking whatever the jewel was. and just But it got past him. He had no idea it was in her bag. It was in her wow. luggage. So she dies on the train. He dips. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I'll be first in line on opening day for Revenge of the Apache. For the Re- Revenge of the Apache, a bastard's work is never done. We put that. We put the rest. The rest of the bastards. They they, find, they make their final stand as they go. should. Well, as yeah, they, doing yeah, with, yeah, they got their moment, and they're doing what they do best, which is kill Nazis. Number three. Originally, when I asked you about what do you think his final film would be, it was in the news at the time, and is it's still getting some talking. I believe at the time of this recording, Miss Uma Thurman recently said that you know it could possibly be a Kill Bill three, but if so, it's a ways off, which would definitely go in standing with what's going on with Tarantino now. We are coming up on this summer being exactly three years from the release of Once Upon a Time. Anyone who's followed him, the longest that he has gone between movies was Jackie Brown to Kill Bill was six years. Mostly in the early 90s, it was almost every other year, it felt like. And since Kill Bill, both volumes came out, there has been a film at least every three years, which or close to three years, maybe three and a half between, if you look back at... At Christmas time of 2015, Hateful Eight came out. Summertime of 2019, three and a half years later, we got Once Upon a Time. It will be Christmas time this year, but we've now reached that mark of it being three and a half years. So it looks like we're going to at least another two, maybe three more years to go before we get whatever it's going to be. So 
With Kill Bill 3 being an actual option, it's a real, I mean, again, we don't know how much he's going to want to do heavy lifting. We don't know how much of which, you know, I mean, he did talk about many years ago when he did the Kill Bill, which this should technically be Kill Bill 2. We won't get into that because he broke it up into two so yeah, he can make yeah. some both movies could be out there. So the whole thing could get out there. And I'll talk more about that when we get to Kill Bill in later in the year. But Kill Bill 3, he wanted to bring out actually 10 years later. Didn't happen. Well, now 20 years, coming up on 20 years, well, that would be more than 20. But the young girls in the film would be in their mid to late 20s, putting them in the perfect range to play. And I would hope that Zendaya would play Vernetta Green's daughter. And at this point, uh, Mrs. Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter together, those of you who are fans of Stranger Things, was in uh, season three of Stranger Things. I don't know if she'll make season four or not. But she was also in Once Upon a Time. She is the young woman who forgets her knife in the car and then steals the car and gets the fuck out of there <laughs> the night of the uh, the murders. The smart one. Yes. So, Kill Bill, Volume 3. I think we need to f- figure out our plot. Okay. We had talked about it being uh, a good and evil thing. So, what we should come up with first, Will Zendaya's character, Will Vernita Green's daughter, get vengeance and kill Beatrix Kiddo, or will she end up joining them? We had that conversation, and we forgot a character who was still around. We believe that good old L Driver, now the blind assassin, will want to exact some vengeance. Another person is still alive, missing an arm, and used to work for Bill, and would probably be more than happy to help L Driver in her determination to get vengeance and take out Beatrix Kittle once and for all, and that is Sophie Fatel, who loses Ooh. her arm in the House of Blue Leaves, and then Bill tells her what's going on. So now we've got the one-armed and the sightless people who could be the main villains. They would eventually take under their wing and probably, obviously, poison the mind, although it doesn't need to be much of a push because she saw her mother get killed. They would definitely try to take under their wing and train to be a killer, the great daughter of Renita Green. So there's our step. Obviously, Beatrix Kiddo, knowing that there is a possibility that there could be retribution coming down the line and will never be able to sleep without looking over her shoulder, would definitely train her daughter in everything, to include the the five-finger touch of death or or five exploding palm Five-finger exploding palm technique, whatever the hell he calls it. Technique. She would definitely teach her that. Yeah. So now we've got that. So we know that in this time frame, Beatrix will definitely have trained her child because these people are still out there. She left them alive. She left two people alive, and she did say, if you still feel sorry about this, come see me when you're older. So she knows that Vernita Green's daughter could very well be coming for her. My feeling was to push Vernita Green's daughter, especially in, was that L Driver would kill her father, making her an orphan, but blaming it on Beatrix, which would then leave a window open for possibly Renita Green's daughter to join forces against Elle and Sophie Fatal. should that be what we needed, or it could just be a story plot device. Uh, I, think, I think we're caught up so far on where we were starting to go with Kill Bill Volume 3, or number 2, Volume 3. That'd be great. Should we call, should we call Kill Bill 2? Volume three. I think that'd be just the best way to name it. So good. Yeah. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but Sophie Fatale, doesn't she cut off 
both of her arms. One arm. She says she, while she's in the car, uh, uh, she uh, says, uh, "If you don't start give you, uh, if you don't start telling me what I want to know, I'm gonna start cutting off things. They they will be things that you will miss." And when she kind of tells her, "They go fuck herself, you blonde," she goes, "Give me your other arm," and she screams. I don't believe she cut off her other arm because when she rolls uh, down the I, hill, I think, right, okay. I think I saw the other arm. I think she's missed. I th- uh, right. I think she's missing both arms, and I'm sure. In the whole bloody affair. You you know what? That, that, we, that we don't see. Yes, right. he, it could, she could have cut off her other arm. But I don't know this. Uh, this is just, I'm going from my memory of what mm-hmm. I read maybe 10 years ago. But anyway, that's that's immaterial, really, at this point. But I actually think Vanita Green's daughter, what's her name again? <sighs> I can't Vanita Green's daughter. Zoe or Chloe or so. I forget now. I know. N- Nikki. Nikki, Nikki you're right. Nick? Yes, Nikki. Is it, Nikki it Green. Nikki. Yeah, right. That's okay. actually anyway. that's a that's got right. a good so, sounding like Nikki Green. It sounds like yeah. a, it's like a Foxy Brown. You know, it's got a real that's good got, ring. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what I was going to say. That. Yeah. So I was thinking. So Nikki goes after. I'm going to say she because I'm I'm not even 100 percent that is Nikki. No, you're right. It <laughs> is Nikki. I believe it is Nikki. Yep. It is Nikki. Okay. Anyway, so she does go after. It's her name. Her name's Nikita, and she calls her Nikki. Remember, she goes to Nikita. Ah, right. She snaps her fingers, but it is Nikki. Yes. All right. We got it. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. So, so I think Nikki gets taken under the wing of El Driver, who trains her. So Nikki wants to kill the bride. Right. She lacks the skills. So she goes to El Driver, who trains her up, and but wants her to become part of her new. Deadly Viper assassination yeah, squad. Yeah, I, I like this. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. So she, so I'm thinking she wants, she wants Nikki to work for her. But of course, although Nikki wants to kill Beatrix, she doesn't know that L Driver and everyone and her own mother tried to kill the bride when she was pregnant. Exactly. And that might be what helps later on. That that is gonna that's gonna be what turns Nikki against L Driver. When she finds out what an evil cold bitch she is. Because eventually... I like pushing her over the edge with L Driver killing the father and blaming it on Beatrix. No, no, you know what you're, I mean? because, you're bang on Because that. that would be the, no, that, that'll be the, the turning. Because so, when she says to her, she goes, trust me, uh, she had it coming to her. You know what I mean? Well, that's what she says when she walks past her. Because as I was hoping not to do this in front of you, but trust me, your mother had it coming. So maybe eventually, like, there, there has to be a battle between them or some, something happens, obviously, where she then finally gets the yeah. information. And then it's the her finding out later, or however in the film, so she can kind of go, shit, that's kind of fucked up. You know what I mean? Like what her mom did. Even though she still feels bad. It's the father who had nothing to do with it. Getting murdered in cold blood, realizing that ho- that's the real atrocity she now needs to avenge. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think she thought that's a double whammy where she finds out that her mother had a part in killing Beatrix, while she was pregnant, that freaks her out and makes her question everything. At the same time, finds out that her father was killed by L Driver, and that is just like, right, I'm coming to get you, L Driver. Yes. But then L Driver is kidnapped Beatrix, and the door and Beatrix's daughter and Nikki go after the Deadly Vipers news, the new Deadly Viper squad to re- end up rescuing I like Beatrix. It. And I think that this is. It's got to happen. There's no way this can't happen. They've got to take on twice as many people at the end as they did in the House of Blue Leaves. It's got to be a massacre. I almost like Beatrix giving her own life. Or, or being prepared to, at least. Well, here's here's the thing I think. I like the fact of Vernita Green's daughter coming after 
Beatrix's daughter to kill her, to give make her feel what she feels. So instead of killing, which would be easy, instead of taking Beatrix's life, taking her daughter's life. And it's in that attempt she realizes what's happened where I think Beatrix then gives her life. Again, like I said, I haven't thought about it. I didn't get enough dipped in like I did the last one. But I like <laughs> I like somewhere where Beatrix has to give her life, maybe even at the hands of Elle or even at her own hands. And it's then that she realizes what's really happened. And it's then that she's like, oh, shit. And then she kind of teams up with maybe she dies at the hands of Elle. Maybe it's that moment where, like, Vernita Green's daughter couldn't do what she was supposed to do. And Elle's the one who ends it. And then maybe Elle's the one who said, that's why I knew you were weak. You got more of your father than your mother. And then all of a sudden, like, she gets the almost Elle gives it away that she's killed the father. Yeah. Now, here's something that many fans may not know. And obviously, we'll talk about this on Kill Bill. But there's a scene in the original script that was then combined to be just Gogo. But when Gogo goes and stabs that um, Japanese businessman in the in the junk and disembowels him, yeah. that was actually a scene yeah. that was supposed to be her sister. When she's killed, there's a scene that's not in the movie that just didn't get filmed at all, where Gogo's sister actually goes to California to track down Beatrix and try to kill her. It's in that trip that she does that whole disemboweling a person, and eventually Beatrix kills her. So, if you continue to hold on to the fact that Gogo has a sister, even though she didn't make it in the first movie, you could bring her in here. She could be mouthy, maybe the head of the new crazy 88 or whatever the hell you want to name them. Yeah. You know what I mean? She could have taken over now that there is a vacuum of power there. So, now, you know, now like the three of them yeah. are sitting at this power table of, uh, of what's going on. You know, like Gogo's sister's yeah. kind of running along with Sophie, the Yakuza over there. And meanwhile, uh, Elle has slipped into the Bill figure now in that world. So that that could then add the extra people she, they've got to now cut their way through. I like the bride dying early in the film to set up this, the last half, like in the middle of the film, to set the last half of the film where now these two, the two girls get together and now must, because she's got to pay for the sins, her own sins. You know what I mean? So Yeah, but I think, what I'm thinking Because uh, when she says it in Kill Bill, she says, if you still feel sore about this, I'll be waiting. Because she knows, just like she would have, she that this girl deserves her vengeance as well. Because yeah, everyone yeah. else she kills yeah, doesn't have that, kids. But... Everyone, you know, everyone else who she's taken out, there is no offspring to come after. Yeah, but listen, listen yeah, yeah, but listen, Beatrix killed Nikki's mom. Yes. So Nikki is going to kill her daughter's mom. Yeah. I think that's an eye for an eye, part of the part. Like if there is a capture, maybe Beatrix, maybe maybe they do capture Beatrix's daughter, and then she has to bring herself in, and she she says, "I will give myself to you if you let her go." And then so Elle, they've got her, and Elle's like, "Now it's Nikki's chance to kill her, but she can't do it. There's just something about it. like she can't. She's not evil like her mother was. She just can't. Even though she's been waiting, she can. That's when Elle kills her and gives it up, and then maybe her and the daughter, the you know the two of them." They break free and now they escape and now they have like this the second half of the movie they have to have they have to try to find a way to become united against this evil woman. They may not even like each other as much, but it's almost like that tango and cash like I gotta work with you because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know what I mean? So yeah, again yeah. we're we're just we're just coming up with we're just spitfiring here. We're spitballing. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm just thinking like the the double whammy of her own mother trying to kill the bride while she was pregnant on her wedding day and also find I think that's why she can't kill her. I think that's the thing, you know. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, why absolutely. she's unable and to also, do what she's, also, she's she was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, but also finding out about her father. Like yeah, because then Elle the gets pissed off as Elle would and because she can't handle it and Elle, you know, Elle just goes 
again, you know, it'd be cool because like a Rucker Howard blind assassin, like she suddenly got great vision and she goes over and kills her, which she's always wanted to do. And I think Beatrix knows yeah. that, look, she's tired of the running around. She knows that the only way this is going to end is maybe these two unite and take them out. And then, you know, now the bride has had her day and now. Creative differences. I don't think the bride should die. I'm just trying to think like, what would Tarantino uh... do? What, what's the unexpected thing that you wouldn't expect? And that is that the you don't expect the bride to die. Like we know she's not going to die and kill Bill. So we come into Kill Bill Volume 3 thinking she's not going to die. She's going to get her vengeance. But Elle is so treacherous. She killed not She I, killed Pie May, yeah. who no one else would even attempt to think of doing. So I like the yeah. fact of Elle being that vicious. You know, like because she was able to kill Pie May without yeah, him no, knowing. I mean, it's like that underestimating Elle's ability. Yeah, and I, I, get, I, get, I get why you would kill the bride. But I feel like that would that would just negate the whole Kill Bill one and two. Well, one and two was just her revenge. Now three is a, basically Kill Bill two, volume three, is now a whole other story. So now it's really the revenge of these two yeah. girls of getting L. It's really Nikki's revenge at this point. But I think, but that, that's that's the key. I think is that where Nikki was intent on killing the bride, it ends up that she has to. It, it turns out that she ends up having to rescue. Her. I'm good with either. I just, I just like that. It's that push. It's that what, what will get us over the hump. What would happen to make her find out? Do you know what I mean? Like, because the um, yeah. the bride would be accused of it, but would never would probably say it's L. But there's no way that Nikki is going to believe the bride, who she watched murder her mother, that she didn't also kill the father. Yeah. It would be a moment of where the bride suddenly is like killed. I equate it to I don't know if you ever watched The Walking Dead back when The Walking Dead was still good. I think it was season three. Do you remember Herschel when they're at the prison still? Herschel was like the Maggie yeah. and someone else. He's the older gentleman. Uh, he had like a longer hair and a beard. Like he was kind of like Rick's Obi-Wan. That's the best way I can put it. Like he was like the conscience. Right. There's a moment where the governor. I didn't actually, I didn't actually watch. I didn't the, watch. The all right. Well, the governor so. rolls up on this, on this prison outside the fence. He's got like some tank or whatever. And, and there's about to be this big battle. And outside is the governor, is uh, Herschel. And they've got him on his knees. And you're looking at him. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, the governor decapitates him, which causes this whole thing to start. It's that right. moment that pushes everybody. There's got to be that moment to push. You know, they're going to hide the fact that they killed her father to get her to do what they wanted to do, which is eventually capture the bride, kill her and her offspring, which is what they were trying to do years ago for Bill. So it's that moment of what's going to not only send Nikki into the arms of being in the camp of Beatrix, but also now turning against Elle, who she's probably spent the last 20 years or 15 years under the tutelage of, and now sees as a bit of a surrogate, albeit tough, crazy bitch mother. Do you know what I mean? What's going to make her turn? And it's that realizing that her mother really was a bad person, but it's her father who was a good doctor, who was a nice, you know, who had nothing to do with any of this, who was sacrificed, who was killed. That's her revenge. Like, yeah, but her mother, but her mother... The bride was cool with being, with being executed by them, but it's because she was pregnant, and she thought she yeah. lost her daughter yeah. that she wanted revenge. I don't think she would have wanted revenge if she wasn't pregnant. She may still have, but you know what I mean? Like, But Vanita Green was a bad person. She wasn't a good person. Agreed, but in her daughter's eyes, she didn't. She doesn't really know that. It's not until these moments happen where she is forced to realize, yeah. and then L who is so pissed that she can't do what she's supposed to do, you know, basically goes into like that. Well, then if you can't, I'll do it. I should have killed you. Like I killed your father. You know what I mean? Like the whole. No, but that should be like that. I, I feel like that should be like the finale where Nikki realizes that she can't kill the bride. And Ellie, L driver is literally like a female mustache twirling villain. No, she's, she's taking over for Bill. She is completely Bill now. But she lays it all out there. Okay. That she killed gotcha. her dad. You, you think right off the and, bat she tells her that or at this moment? She's like, I killed your dad. Your mom 
help kill the bride when she was pregnant. Your mum was a piece yeah. of shit too. And this just throws Nikki on a kind of like, well, now I feel like I don't know anything. I've got to protect this woman because you're an evil scumbag. <laughs> and then the, and then, then I just feel like, it, then I just feel like Nikki, Beatrix, and the daughter fight two hundred people, and there's more blood than has ever been in any other film. But, but the bride does die, okay. right? But she asks Nikki. She's wounded. She's so heavily wounded that she knows she's not going to live. But she asks Nikki to finish her. Okay. All right. I got gotcha. you. She say, "You you deserve your revenge. Finish this. All right. And kill me because I'm." So yeah. So then you get the kind of you do get that catharsis, but at the same time, the bride goes out heroically, which she deserves because you've just followed her through through four hours of Kill Bill. You don't want her just to die. Is this another double volume? Is this a long like we get a, like it's volume three and four? Well, by the sound of it, yeah. Yeah, I think it's got to be. It has to be two parts. Uh, I think it could. I think Tarantino would be well within his rights to make a three-and-a-half-hour movie, though. Especially if it is going to be his last. Yeah, I think he's well within his rights to do that. He can do what, well, obviously, he can do what the hell. He'll, he'll write and he'll help me produce Revenge of the Apache. That's what'll happen. I, I, you know, I'll go out and direct it. He'll, he'll write and produce it, and then, you know. And you know what? And maybe, <laughs> and maybe, right, also, his TV stint, is Pulp Fiction sequel is the case? Yeah, it's, oh, absolutely! Oh, it, it, it's a six-part series. We won't do it. You know, he movie. can. You know what? How about you this? Get, he can get... do all of these as a series, in my opinion. He could do them all as a one-off series, eight episodes each. I would be engrossed every single time. It would be great. I, I would not mind it. That's it. That's Did... how it's got to be done. It's got to be. It's got to be an absolute massacre at the end of Kill Bill: The Revenge. Kill Bill, Kill Bill Two, Volume Three, and, Four. <laughs> but, but but yeah, but Nikki kills the when Nikki kills the bride is a mercy kill. It's, it's, it's to put her out of her misery because she's too wounded to go on. And then the bride grabs Nikki's arm and says, "Finish me. You've earned this revenge. But make sure you kill that blind fucking bitch for me." And then right. I, I'm the two it. daughters, but then the two daughters get together and they have the biggest cinematic massacre that's ever been seen. Not only is she fighting while blind, she's fighting both Absolutely. At the same time. This is like a duel. This is Tarantino's duel of the fates. L yeah, Driver is, is like Darth fucking Maul, and these two girls are Obi Wan yeah. and Qui Gon, and they are fucking fighting. And she is blind to boo. Oh go. god, it'd be great. Yeah, but they only fight El, El Driver after they've killed about two hundred oh, people. Oh, god, yes. There's at least three million people who died in this movie. It's good. <laughs> I want them. I want them sliding around in blood. I want guts dripping from the walls. I want limbs everywhere. I want it four times as crazy as in. Well, and, and both uh, Ethan Hawke and her daughter. And Zendaya would be fucking amazing in this. Zendaya is an amazing actress. So is the Hawk girl. There would be so good. And then, uh, what's her name as as L Driver? Was she was crazy as it was. So it was Daryl Hannah. Yep, Daryl Hannah would be phenomenal. Again, she would. She would. I think she would reprise. Yeah. Plus, a little bit older. Oh, I think she'd be great in this. I think we've done kill. We've got. Our we've kill got our Kill Bill three. We got through it. Those were some fucking pitches. So there you go, folks. You Stop you let it. us know whether it's through the socials or on where this podcast is hosted, especially if it's on Spotify, or send us a voice message. Which of these three would you hope 
He does. Or do you want to see all three of them? And is there anything that we left out that you could add to them that might help spice them up? I don't know how, but please, we're more than happy. And I would like to thank you, sir. Yeah, let's keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. That was that's fantastic. I think we'll have to do more of these. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with some more. We'll have to. We'll come up with some other ideas. Because this this, this was a blast. This is almost uh, this yeah. this was the biggest geek, yeah. skeet skeet ever. <laughs> he just sat here yeah. for an hour talking about what <laughs> his Definitely. movie could be. Yeah. I hope now we've let raise the bar for our own selves for him to make a movie that now he may or may not be able to live up to, and that's not fair to him. So we may have <laughs> we may have raised the bar too high in his 59th birthday. I don't know, anyway. You know, we'll do this again yeah, on his 60th birthday. We'll come up with some other ideas on his 60th birthday a year from absolutely. now. We'll revisit. Yeah. This will become a tradition for as long as this podcast goes on. And that will do it for our first ever Tarantino birthday celebration. I would once again like to thank my good friend Steve Smith for joining me on this momentous occasion. Now be sure to tune in next month as Ian Harris, one half of the podcast Nobody Asked For, will be joining me to discuss the greatest movie ever made. I'm talking about the Tarantino written and directed black comedy crime film, Pulp Fiction. Now, you can find the link to Steve's podcast and his socials in the show notes. And as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following all of our socials, which can be also found in the show notes as well. Happy birthday, Mr. Tarantino. And until next month, this has been the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you always.